All right, tonight we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Hope you got your nap in this afternoon so you won't be tempted to take it now. <laughs> this morning we looked at a wonderful picture of faith. The name of the Lord is that strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. That's a beautiful picture. Tonight we're going to look at the details of that. In other words, what is faith? We know the word. We use it often. There are times when, yes, actually, we're actually exercising faith, but what is it? Not just what does it do, what is it? And then, of course, how does it operate? So we want to look tonight at Hebrews chapter 11 and look to the Spirit of God to be our teacher tonight. Uh, and uh, so let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. How much of today has pleased the Lord? In other words, how much has actually been walked in faith? And if we're kind of, oh man, I don't even know how to answer that question. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, the only way you can be filled with the Spirit of God and know it is if you understand what faith is and how it operates. And so uh, the truth is we, we need to know. Uh, so uh, how much of today was walked in faith? What does that mean? How much of the last 168 hours of our lives, it's the last week, by the way, <laughs> has been pleasing to God? In other words, how much has been walked in faith? What was faith? What was unbelief? Disbelief is when you deny the Word of God. I doubt if we have too much of that in here. But unbelief is when we just don't depend on it. <laughs> so how much has been this? How much has been that? Because it says here, without faith, it's not possible. It is not possible to please Him. How many people are trying to please God and they're not? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But here's the good news. Did you know that with faith, it's possible to please God? That's a, this is stunning. That somehow, <laughs> uh, this side of heaven, even though we still live in a sin-cursed body, that through the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus and the enabling power of the Spirit of Jesus, that it is possible through faith to actually please that holy God this side of heaven. See, faith is like a little key. It somehow unlocks this amazing possibility of pleasing Almighty God. It's stunning. Well, this verse goes on to say, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And in this verse, seek him is parallel to faith. Fascinating. Then we have examples of faith. Noah, Abraham, Sarah. We have men and women listed in this hall of faith chapter, as it's sometimes called. And uh, let's skip over that to verse 33. Who, referring to those men and ladies, through faith, skip two phrases, obtained promises. Did you catch that? Faith, through faith, they obtained promises. You know what that implies? Promises have to be obtained or you miss out. How many people look at the Word of God, they read a promise and think, well, <laughs> that ain't happening. Pardon English. And they get disillusioned. Well, it's promised, but why doesn't it happen? They don't understand that the promises are there, but they must be obtained through faith. Depending on how the Lord leads, we may unfold uh, that more tomorrow night. We'll see. Uh, but uh, uh, the point is, that's a biggie. Faith is like this little key that unlocks this, this, this storehouse of obtaining promises. 
You don't need to turn there, but in 1 John 5, the Bible says, and this is the victory, literally the overcoming. That overcomes, see, it's the noun and the verb, the world, even our faith. So those areas where we're being overcome, that can be switched to overcoming. This is the overcoming that overcomes the world, even our faith. So again, faith is like a little key that unlocks this amazing potential of actually overcoming this world right now. So I want to speak tonight on the key of faith. Let's pray. Will you join me? Let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher. It's really what we asked a moment ago in that song. And uh, Let's look to the Lord tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of this evening. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for this pastor, this people, Lord, for your presence in this place. Now, Lord, thank you for already stirring our hearts in the songs. And, uh, uh, Lord, uh, just already uh, taking phrases and arresting our attention. But now, Lord, as we look at your word, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher tonight? Open our eyes. to What faith is and how it operates so that we use this simple little key of faith. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus, protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to cloud this issue, this understanding. So, Lord Jesus, we do claim our position in you on the throne. Far above the enemy, and in your name, exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to interfere and trust you that that not be allowed. Breathe on us now, Lord. And may we rejoice in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can faith move mountains you got a few to the west of us <laughs> so I looked at those yesterday that thought came to my mind faith that moves mountains can faith move mountains you know if Charlie Kittrell were here tonight did you ever know really Charlie Kittrell he passed it in Indianapolis for over uh, 40 years. He's now with the Lord. Uh, but if he were in the audience tonight, he probably would have blurted out when I asked that question, can faith move mountains? He would have probably blurted out pretty loudly, oh, absolutely. <laughs> that was his personality. <laughs> and uh, he had seen God do it many, many times. I got to know him in the late 90s. I thank God for that. And uh, he, uh, he would say, now, John, call me. Call me often. Don't wait. Now don't put it off. Call me. <laughs> so we, we would talk every couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> he would always ask me about everything we talked about in the previous conversation. Because he'd been praying. I cannot tell you how much I miss that man. But nearly every phone call, he had some new, fresh, remarkable testimony of God stepping into the affairs of man. In other words, God answering prayer. God moving. Let me just give you one of those. One time they were building a new building, a new auditorium, and the construction workers had come out, and they had just poured some fresh cement, and as they were still working on it, they looked up, and they could see this dark line of clouds coming, obviously full of heavy rain, and uh, it's going to be there shortly. And so Pastor Kittrell, Charlie Kittrell, looked at these construction workers and said, uh, uh, what will happen to this fresh cement if uh, heavy rain hits it? They said, well, if it's heavy enough, it'll dimple it and ruin it. Well, that's a problem. So he quickly slipped away to talk to the Lord. Now, he doesn't have a lot of time. The clouds are coming. He told me one time, he said, you know, John, he said, prevailing prayer doesn't have to take a lot of time. He said, it just needs to prevail. 
It's a great truth. It's a great truth. And so he goes and uh, uh, gets a word from the Lord, <laughs> comes back, and now the clouds are closer, says to the construction workers, don't worry, it's not going to rain on that cement. And these men, I, don't, I, I doubt if they knew the Lord, they, they, they laughed in unbelief. Oh, when anybody challenged God in front of Charlie Kittrell, there was a surge within that man's soul. These guys were saying, oh, how can you say that? It's going to hit any second. I mean, we can see it right there. And in his heart, he's saying, Lord, you've got to vindicate yourself. <laughs> I forget how many acres they had there. They did have a decent amount of property. He said they watched the wall of rain. You know how you can see the wall come. And they said it stopped at their property line. He said, not one drop hit that fresh cement. I had another eyewitness on a different occasion give me the exact same details. Uh, friends, is not God glorified in that? So can faith move mountains? Oh, absolutely. And storm clouds and the little stuff of life that happens every day. See, just like the right key unlocks what would otherwise be inaccessible, this key called faith unlocks, as we're seeing here, this possibility of pleasing God, obtaining promises, overcoming the world, and so much more. So you and I must learn to use the key of faith. But what is faith? And how does it operate? We want to answer those two questions tonight. We'll spend the majority of our time on the first question and open up the second question and then build on that as we move along in these days together. But let's deal, first of all, with the right concept of faith the right conception of faith. Let's answer that first question, what is faith? Not what does faith do, but what is it? And so, uh, to do so, we're just going to take a thought at a time from the Word of God, and we're going to begin to build a Bible concept of faith. Number one, the essence of faith is dependence. The essence of faith is dependence. If you were to look up the word faith, uh, it doesn't matter if it's an English dictionary or a Hebrew or Greek lexicon, <laughs> with all their counterparts, uh, you're going to find that the word faith means trust, it means reliance, it means dependence. If you were to look up the verb form, believe, it means to trust in, <clears throat> to rely on, to depend on. See, the essence of faith is dependence. So, so far we have a one-word definition. It's going to grow, <laughs> uh, but right now the idea is dependence. Now, it's interesting that when dependence is exercised, it involves our entire soul. Now, your soul is your mind, your affections, and your will. I often liken the soul of man to a triangle. Uh, just, as you, just as you have to have three sides to have a triangle, you have to have all three sides, as it were, or parts of the soul of man involved when there's actual dependence. Now, to illustrate this, let me move out of the spiritual realm for a second where faith operates into the physical realm, just for the sake of analogy. Tonight, when you came in to this auditorium and sat where you're now seated, in your mind, first side of the triangle, you had the understanding that's a chair. <laughs> and it can hold the weight of humans. <laughs> and so on. In other words, you understood that. Let's go to the affections. Now, affections are where you allow what you understand to affect you. In other words, where you get convinced and you agree. And so, uh, in your soul, apparently you were convinced that the chair would hold you up because I didn't see anybody checking it out. <laughs> just to make sure it wouldn't came in when you sat down. However, if you would have just stood there and said, I believe the chair can hold me up, but never sat in it, that would be only believing about the chair. 
We could call it easy believism on chairs. <laughs> Where you believe about it without depending on it. So obviously to depend on it, you got to get to the third side of the triangle of your soul, your will, your volition, your chooser, where you make a choice to depend on that chair as you put your weight on it. And so there you have it. That dependence involved your entire soul. Secondly, the object of biblical faith is God. Now let's move back out of the physical realm into the spiritual realm. We're no longer talking about a chair. Our text says... Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God. Okay, so the object of biblical faith is God himself. So now we can expand our definition into two words. God dependence. That's what we're talking about. So, D.L. Moody put it this way. The way to get faith is to know who God is. And we immediately tie into what we talked about this, uh, this morning. They that know thy name will put their trust, their dependence, in him. There it is. And so uh, we're dealing with God dependence. Again, as I mentioned this morning, the key to faith is the object of faith. God, not the subject of faith, us. Now, before we move on, let me mention a couple of thoughts here that uh, need to be cleared up. Faith is not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. God. I say this because there are some since the time of the Reformation, probably before as well, uh, but especially since that time and following, that, uh, uh, that view human faith as a human work. Because it's something that a human does, a human responsibility, they view it as therefore a human work. But it's not a work. You say, how do you know? Because Romans 4, 5 says, but to him that worketh not, but believes. On him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the believing is the antithesis of human works. It is the opposite. So faith is something man does, but it's not a work. Why? Because God says so. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, 1 John 5, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. How many of you know the song, Faith is the Victory? All right, some of you do, many of you do. Uh, that's where that course comes from, 1 John 5. But we sang this morning, Victory in Jesus. That comes from 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, uh, uh, 57. Uh, Thanks be unto God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got two songs based on two texts. One says faith is the uh, victory. The other one says victory in Jesus. So which one is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it's not a contradiction. I love it. You see, it's not a contradiction at all. Jesus is the victory, but faith is the victory because faith is not a work, but depends on the worker, Jesus, who then is the victory. How many times do we read in the Gospels? I love the Gospel accounts, especially when Jesus just heals people. I mean, I just love those accounts, you know. And uh, Jesus heals somebody, and he turns around and says to them, your faith has made you well. Now, wait a second. He healed them. But he says, your faith has made you well. Well, it's not a contradiction. Because faith is not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. In this case, the healer. Jesus, who then does the healing. So that's important for us to understand. Faith is not a work. It is dependence upon the worker. So the essence of faith is dependence. The object of biblical faith is God. Let's go to a third thought. The basis of faith in God is the word of God. Romans 10, 17, what a verse. So then faith 
comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, so the object of faith is God, but the warrant for believing in God is His Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So now we can expand our definition into a phrase. God dependence based on God's Word. Okay, remember Jesus is called the Word in John chapter 1. So there is this mystery of oneness uh, between the incarnate Word, Jesus, and the inscribed Word, the Scripture. This is when the Word becomes the living Word. And it's uh, that, uh, that connection there. The object of our faith is God, but the warrant or basis for believing in God is His Word. Now, let's go further. Fourthly, the foundation of the Word is specific, not general. This truth, if you allow the Spirit of God to sink it in, can change your life. That's not an overstatement. What do we mean the foundation of faith is specific, not general? Well, when the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, we need to understand that in our English Bibles, there are two words primarily that are translated word uh, in our English Bibles. One of those terms is the Greek word logos. How many of you ever heard the word logos? All right, a few of you have. That's the larger word. Uh, often, not always, but often it refers to the entire Word of God. How about John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Obviously, the whole thing is God's revealed truth. The other term is the term rhema. A rhema is a very specific part of the larger whole. It can be as specific as one word. It can be a phrase, a sentence. We generally call that a verse or a paragraph. My point is, a rhema is a specific slice of that larger whole pie, we might say. It's specific. And so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, we might think, well, it's got to be Lagos, because, you know, we're supposed to believe the whole thing. Well, I get that, but it's not Lagos. It's Rhema. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the specific Word of God. How did you get saved? Somebody showed you specific truth, like John 3.16, or the Romans Road, and you put your faith in Jesus to save you from sin and hell based on specific words. And so once you're saved, the stepping stones on the pathway of walking by faith are specific truths. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the specific truth of God. So we've said God dependence based on God's word. We can change that now slightly and say God dependence based on God's specific truth. His words. Where we're taking God at his word on a very specific matter. In other words, it's not general. It's not just some kind of big, you know, <laughs> unmanageable, ethereal, whatever. No, it's trusting God based on specific truth. Very important for us to understand. Number five, the specific foundation is real, though unseen, unfelt, and so on. 
In other words, not in the sensory realm. Jump to verse 1 in our chapter. It says, now faith is the substance. Let me stop right there. That's not talking about a tangible substance like this pulpit. It's talking about that which is substantive. It's dealing with that, that which is real. Okay? Reality. So faith is the reality of things hoped for, the evidence, proof of things. What's the last two words? Not seen. So you're dealing with that which is real, though you can't see it. Real, though you can't, by implication, feel it or smell it. <laughs> My point is, it's not in the sensory realm. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road in the matter of faith. What would you and I have done when we, if we had been there, saw the dark line of clouds? See, sight was, it's going to rain on the cement. You know, we know the scripture that says we walk by faith and not by, but do we live that? How often do we really walk by faith and not by sight? Well, we say that, but do we depend on that reality? You know, isn't it easy to pray for a sick person when they still look good? You know what I'm saying? But what about when they don't look so good? And we say we walk by faith and not by sight. Not only that, faith is not based on sight. It's not based on feelings. Now, this is so important. It is so important. And we may know enough to say, oh, yeah, faith's not ba uh, based on feelings. And yet we often look for some kind of something, <laughs> feeling, that we equate with faith and we're derailed. Do you know it's it is possible to exercise faith in God opposite your feelings? For example, I told you this morning, I was born in Durango, Colorado. And uh, what a place to live, man. Wow. And, uh, you know, then we moved. We moved. You know what I'm for? You know, just getting old enough to enjoy this place. <laughs> and, you know, we left, you know, the ranches and the horses and the cowboys and the ski slopes and the beauty of Durango, Colorado, and moved to the south side of the city limits of Chicago. <laughs> and that has meaning. It has lots of meaning. <laughs> and uh, we lived in the city limits for several years. Oh my goodness, you play ball on alley cement and all. It's kind of hard on your jeans, but whatever. Uh, so then we moved out to the suburbs. That was a little bit better, but it was still urban, suburban Chicago. And so the rest of my elementary years and high school years, I'm in an urban Chicago setting. So consequently, I hate to say this, but I'm not a cowboy. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. I'm a city slicker. That's just the way it is. One time I tried to wear cowboy boots. I thought this isn't going to work. <laughs> but uh, I, didn't, I just, you know, I grew up in the city. Um, uh, that's, I, I got messed up. Well, when I entered evangelism, early 1990s, um, the church out there in Durango invited me to come for revival meetings. And so that was really neat, very special at the church that my dad used to pastor. And uh, while I was there, some friends, they're now with the Lord, but at the time they were living, they had a 3,000-acre ranch. And uh, uh, they invited me to go horseback riding. Well, I'd heard of a horse before. <laughs> and I'd been on a horse, but never out on the range, if you know what I'm saying. And so I thought, man, this is it, man, this is the real deal. Wow, yeah. So I said, yes. But you know, there was, <clears throat> there was this nagging sense that you're going to regret this. <laughs> Well, it was a beautiful day. 
it was a beautiful day. It was a nice, cool temperature. So I get to the ranch, you know, and it's blue sky, nice, cool temperature. And uh, there were three of us that were going to ride that day. Uh, there was the head cowboy of that ranch, and I mean a true blue cowboy, you know. And uh, then there was Dave Schaff. <laughs> he was there, another a Westerner cowboy. And uh, then there's me you know, with the tennis shoes and <laughs> whatever. Uh, so uh, uh, they told me, you stick your foot in this thing and you swing your body up over here. Okay, okay. So I got on a horse <laughs> and uh, uh, they started, uh, you know, just showing us the property, 3,000 acres. And so my horse was just following theirs and oh man, it was so cool. You know, there's a Colorado stream and you could actually see through it. You got to understand how unusual that is if you grow up in Chicago. I mean, you don't see through the water in any kind of stream that that's around there. I mean, in Chicago, it looks like a Wendy's Frosty and <laughs> a whole lot more. But uh, uh, at any rate, you know, you could see in and oh wow, you know. And we're seeing the property. You know, go around the mountain and then and then oh wow, it opens up and there's the snow-covered La Plata's in the San Juan Range, and you're just oh wow, just awed by the majesty of God. I'm enjoying all this. Then. The lead cowboy, we came to a spot where basically there was a, a curvature that went around the mountainside, and there was a narrow ledge that kind of went around the curvature. Narrow ledge. <laughs> and uh, he takes his horse straight out on that ledge, so our horses automatically followed. <laughs> and you know, when I got out on that ledge, I suddenly was very aware of my environment. And I'm not an environmentalist. <laughs> I could look to the left, and there's the mountain walls. It continues to send upward. I could basically reach out and touch it. That was somewhat comforting. I could look to my right and see nothing, <laughs> unless I looked down, and it was steep and a long way. And uh, there's the, uh, you know, the stream at the bottom with big boulders, and I stopped looking. Well, somehow we made it past that spot. Then we came to another spot where not only could you look to the right and see nothing, unless you looked down, you could look to the left and see nothing, unless you looked down. We're on this ridge, and I'm thinking, guys, I'd like to live. <laughs> well, somehow we made it past that spot. Well, then we came to a spot where it was still extremely steep to the right. And the head cowboy, you know, as if there's nothing to it, takes the reins of his horse to the right. And not at an angle, but he takes his horse straight down that steep slope. So steep that I noticed the hind legs of the horse basically tucked up under <laughs> and just kind of skidded down the slope, dislodging rocks and so forth. And I'm sitting on my horse watching this thinking, that guy's crazy. <laughs> well, the next cowboy, there's nothing to it, reins the horse to the right, down he goes. Hind legs of the horse tuck up under, he begins to skid his way down. Well, now obviously, I am supposed to follow. <laughs> but do you know there was one old cowboy word that I remembered from my Durango days? And I yelled it out, whoa. <laughs> And you know, it was a well-trained horse. When I said, whoa, the horse stopped. So the cowboy <laughs> ahead of me, this was Dave, by the way, for the ball, he looks up at me and he goes, John, what's wrong? <laughs> now, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> but I obviously revealed that I was petrified. Now, he could have had a lot of fun at my expense, but he was kind. He said, John, 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 just, just loosen up on the reins. <laughs> Who knows what I was doing to that poor horse? <laughs> he said, just loosen up on the, on the reins, and the horse will take you down. Do you know that's exactly what I was afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, <clears throat> I loosened up on the reins, and I depended, here's our word, on that horse to take me down that slope, which it safely did. 
But may I say that while I was in the process of dependence, my feelings were not in line. <laughs> Do you realize you can depend opposite your feelings? See, what Satan wants is for us to let our feelings get us off of the object of faith. But the reality is you can exercise faith opposite your feelings. Now, when you do that, we could describe that position of faith, and I'll explain that in a moment, as clinging faith. In other words, when you depend against your emotions, you're hanging on. But it is faith. You are dependent. I mean, I was hanging on for dear life. You know that thing on the front of the saddle? <laughs> we were buds. <laughs> what do they call it? The horn, whatever. Uh, you know, oh, man, I was clinging. But now the other two cowboys, they weren't clinging, you know. Uh, we could describe their position of faith as resting. And those guys, you know, and, and uh, you guys know this out here in the West, but somehow those guys, they just have these lanky bodies, you know, and when they get over the edge, their body somehow gets in line with gravity, and uh, they go down and everything's fine. <laughs> now, it's not two kinds of faith. Faith is faith. Dependence is dependence. It's two positions of dependence. Mine was hanging on for dear life. That's when you depend opposite your emotions, but it is dependence. Theirs was resting faith. When your emotions get in line. Well, how do you get from clinging faith to resting faith? By the way, you have to be in the position of resting faith. You're going to help someone else as they help me. You say, well, how do you get from clinging faith to resting faith? Well, we have a progression of truth in Romans 5. In fact, I just wrote on this a, couple of, uh, a week or two ago. Uh, but uh, <coughs> the, uh, the progression of truth starts with faith, and it ends with the word hope. <laughs> I love this because of your church name. And as you probably know in the Scripture, hope is not the idea of wishful thinking. It's that confident expectation. You know what that is? Resting faith. You know. God's going to come through. You say, well, how do you get there? See, well, the word that precedes hope is experience. An experiment that proves. <laughs> you know, when I got to the bottom of that slope and had experienced that that day, did you know the thought went through my mind? I remember it going through my mind. Oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I could do that again. No, I didn't. <laughs> but the thought briefly... <laughs> went through my mind. Friends, don't let the devil's lie knock you off of faith. Because if you're clinging, it is faith. And as you trust God and experience God, and trust God and experience God, and trust God and experience God, you develop hope, <laughs> confident expectation. And that's a glorious reality because your confidence is in God himself. Some of the men who wrote articles in the fundamentals use the illustration, men like F.B. Meyer, there's Mr. Fact, that re represents God based on his word, there's Mr. Faith, that's us, and there's Mr. Feeling. And they pointed out that as long as Mr. Faith focuses, the uh, object of faith, focuses on Mr. Fact, then eventually Mr. Feeling will come along. See, there's the experience that brings you there. But if Mr. Faith turns around and stops focusing on Mr. Fact and focuses on Mr. Feeling, that's when you go down. That's when you stumble. And so it's very, very helpful. So now let's expand our definition and drop this idea of reality. Reality regardless of what you see and feel. 
into our definition. It's God dependence based on the reality of God's specific truth. Obviously, regardless of what you see and feel. God dependence based on the reality of God's specific truth. But how in the world are we ever going to depend on the reality of what we can't see and feel? One more thought as we fill out this conception of faith. The Holy Spirit. The evidence, verse 1, for the reality is through the convincing of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In other words, it is the Spirit who convinces us of the reality of God's Word. You say, how do you know? Well, when it says the substance of things hoped for, the reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that word evidence occurs only two times in our New Testament. It is also translated reproof over there in that verse on inspiration uh, that talks about for correction, for reproof. That's the same word. And that helps us understand the verb form is reprove. How about when Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove. There's the verb form of this noun. The world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is, he will convict. Which means he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're dealing with a conviction, or can I say a convincement. Now, that's, bringing that back into the noun, that's what we're talking about, evidence. See, there's proof, you're convinced. Well, who's the convincer? The Holy Spirit. He's the persuader. And that's why we need the Word and the Spirit. Now, the Spirit authored the Word, and He never operates outside of those big boundary lines. But the fact is, it's not just the Word, it's the Word and the Spirit. See, that's what makes the Word the living Word. And it is the Spirit who opens our eyes and in that illumination convinces us of that truth for that situation. And now you can respond in faith. You see, convincement at its core is not a feeling. It's being convinced. You may or may not have feelings. That's the soul level. You see, when the Spirit bears witness with your spirit, that's deeper than the soul then you know. It's just like in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, not feel like it, but that we are the children of God. That is a knowing. That means you're convinced, not a feeling. When we find ourselves striving in prayer, thinking, you know, God has shown me this. I know he's going to do it, but we find ourselves striving. Well, then we're not as convinced as we thought we were. We've deceived, our, deceived ourselves. Because when the Holy Spirit convinces down deep, you know. So... Let's throw that into our definition here. God dependence based on spirit convincement of the reality of God's specific truth. I told you it was going to get gangly. <laughs> but there it is. It's God dependence based on spirit convincement of the reality of God's specific truth. Now, friends, when the spirit convinces, now when you respond, God's going to work. And we may unfold that thought in a much uh, deeper way tomorrow. But the reality is, when you actually get a grip on this, then you are casting your dependence upon God because the Spirit convinced you. You can. You can trust me for this. And when that happens, when you trust, He's going to enable. You know, we traveled in a fifth-wheel trailer for 25 years, and when my son, he's in college right now, 
But when he was uh, two, you know, I'd come down the steps of the RV and I'd say, all right, John, come on. And he'd, he'd, he'd come running up and he'd jump. It was a leap of faith. <laughs> you know, if I'm not going to catch him, he's going to bounce off the pavement, whatever, you know. <laughs> but of course, I would reach out and catch him. All right, so what was he doing? He was casting his dependence upon the object of his dependence, his dad. And I would reach out and catch him. And friends, there is a very real sense when the Holy Spirit stirs us. Come! We cast dependence. And we come into union with the object of our faith. Wherein we find that underneath are the everlasting arms. Because when he stirs us, when he convinces us, that means it's his will. And when you depend on him, the in, then he empowers. And you're coming into union with the will and the power of Almighty God. That's what faith is. Now, we could just say it simply, God dependence. But it's God dependence based on spirit convincement of the reality of God's specific truth. Now, everything I've said thus far has been in the abstract realm. So let's move the final part of the message from the first question, what faith is, to the second question, how does faith operate? Let's move from a concept of faith, the right conception of faith, to the practical exercise of faith. In our text, verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, verse 7, skip a few words, prepared an ark. Can you imagine building a boat when it's never rained? Depending on the reality of what you can't see because God said something to him. See, this is the truth. There it is. And this is what you see. By faith, Abraham, and so on. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk. See, we exercise by faith. So a couple of thoughts about this because this is important to fill out our understanding. First of all, walking involves steps. Aren't you glad you came tonight? That was deep. <laughs> what is walking? It's reiterated steps. So what is walking by faith? It's reiterated steps of faith. It's reiterated steps of dependence. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2.6 tells us, well, that was by faith. So walk ye in him. See, well, that's by faith. So there it is. It's by faith. Walking involves steps. It's reiterated steps. That takes this whole life of faith that can sometimes be overwhelming and makes it one step at a time. But so helpful. See, Satan wants us to get off focus. He gets us you know, to look backward, oh, look at your past, look how you've blown it, there's no hope for you. Who are you to think you can walk with God? Or to get us fearful for the future. Ah, you're in a revival meeting right now, all propped up. <laughs> Give yourself a few days, buddy, and you're going down. You're thinking, oh, man, a few days I'm going down. <laughs> well, you're already on your way. <laughs> but you know, when you presently trust, he presently enables. See, it's one step of faith at a time. Secondly, steps vary. Now, I'm only going to scratch this one long enough to be irritating. <laughs> but we will tap into this in a night or two. Okay, probably on Tuesday. Uh, but uh, steps vary. In other words, the rhemas can generally be categorized. Now, you can get more specific in this. But generally, you can categorize them, and I alluded to this this morning, into promises and facts. The promises are the will-bees and the shall-bees. <laughs> which means they're not is yet. And the facts are the is's, pardon the English, or the are's. 
Now, this is wonderful. As you read the Word of God, it just makes it come alive because, you know, am I dealing with a fact or am I dealing with a promise? Because it's going to determine the steps. You know, we say believe in Jesus, but we can actually break that down into further steps uh, depending on whether or not we're dealing with a fact or a promise. You see, when it's a fact, uh, the steps are, are, we can just break them into, break it into two steps. If it's a promise, it's three. Let's start with promise because we're very familiar with that term and we have some promises that spell out exactly what's supposed to happen. How many have ever needed wisdom? <laughs> I need it all the time. Okay. So what does James 1.5 tell us? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him, there's your first step. See, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally. That doesn't mean politically left. It means generously. <laughs> uh, they give it to all men uh, liberally. And it braineth not. That means without reproach. And it shall be given. So is that a fact or a promise? It's a promise because it says shall. Okay. And so that lets us know then. So if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask. That's the first step when the, uh, what we're seeking to obtain is a promise, a shall be. See, we don't have the wisdom. So we go to God and we ask. And you know, he says, if any of you, not if the elite, not if those who've had a good two weeks and uh, performed well, now if any of you, now obviously if you're hanging on to sin, that means you're not going to be interested in this. But you know, if you're right with God, it doesn't matter how long you've been right with God. If, you've, <laughs> if there's nothing that you're hanging on to over him, the fact is, if any of you lack wisdom, you can ask of God. And he gives generously. And he doesn't scold you for doing it. It's without reproach. He invites us to. And it shall be given. So here's how it works. Say, God, I've got this situation coming up at work. I've got this situation with the... Uh, one of my children, uh, Lord, I've got this over here. Lord, I don't know what to do. I just, I just don't know. Now, God, you said if I asked, you'd give wisdom. I'm asking. <laughs> and, you know, you dialogue with God. You talk to God. Why? Because he's real. And talk to him as if he's there, because he is. And that asking is dependence. But here's what will happen is you're saying, God, I need wisdom about this scenario. What do we do? There'll come a moment when the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. You got it. In other words, it's as if he's holding wisdom out. Now, if he's holding wisdom out, do you need to keep asking? No. Because you just went from shall be to is. So what would be the next step if he's holding it out? Take it. Exactly. If you're courteous, what would you say? Thank you. And then you act on it. You go forward in the confidence that he is granting it because he said so. And you will find that he, he does just that. You ever lose something? And you can't find it? And you look and you look and you just, oh, man, what's going on? You ever prayed? I know some of you have. It's amazing. One time I lost a gun. <laughs> I, I so wanted nobody to, you know, you know, for this to, you know, I, it's, you're, supposed, you're, you're supposed to hide them, you know. Well, I hid it so well, I couldn't find it. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, I gotta find this gun. You know, I was taking, you know, concealed carry courses and so forth and so on. Oh, man. And I remember saying, God, I need 
wisdom. And you know, when God speaks to you, down deep you know. And he even put it in my mind, second drawer on the left of the desk. I don't know how else to say that, but that's what was in my mind. So you know what I did? Second drawer. <laughs> and I'm looking, I don't see it, because I looked in that drawer before, and I just kept looking because he said second drawer on the left. And then something that looked like it was the bottom lever or layer, I lifted it up, and there it was. <laughs> that's what God does. You know, it's very real. You say, would you hear an audible voice? No. It didn't matter if it was like I did. I just knew. Second drawer on the left. I mean, that's more than just a deep knowing. That, those are words. God doesn't always do that. Sometimes you just have a deep knowing, but sometimes he actually, because of the nature of the case, will give you a couple words. <laughs> My point is, you can ask. And when he bears witness, you got it, you can take it, and then you act on it. So it's three different steps, all are dependence. Asking is dependent on the one that you're asking. When he bears witness, here it is. Taking is dependence, because now you're taking from him. And then when you act on it, that's dependence, that he's doing what he said. So there it is. I can give you many other examples. Perhaps we will as the week progresses. But that would be a promise. So promises cannot be claimed. They have to be obtained is the wording uh, there. But when we go to a fact, a fact is different than a promise. Uh, the promises are the shall be's and the will be's. The facts are the is's. So if it is, do you have to ask for it? You already have it. In other words, it's already there, I should say. But you don't need to ask for it. You say, well, are those in the Bible? They're all over the place. My grace is sufficient. Whoa. How many times do we ask for grace when God says it's already there? See, promises need to be obtained. Facts need to be claimed. Because they're already there. I think when I was here last time, we dealt with the fruit of the Spirit on the final night. And the fruit of the Spirit, what's the next word? Is. So is that a promise or a fact? It's a fact. You see, why? Because Christ is living in us, Galatians 2.20. That's not a promise, that's a fact. So when it's a fact, you don't have to ask. And when we do ask, it means we don't believe it is. <laughs> now, God's gracious with us. You know, when we're asking, when we're supposed to be taken, uh, he, you know, he says, you know, it's already there, why don't you just take it? But you know, you can save a lot of time if you understand it. You don't have to ask for a fact. And sometimes that matters because when you need patience, ironically, you need it now. And thankfully, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. There it is. So the point is, it's the same steps. It's just that it's without the first one. You start with taking. Now, you're never going to do that if you're not convinced it's available. See, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. But when he convinces, hey, trust me for this. Right here, take this. Then you can take it. In other words, this is not name it and claim it. This is God names it so you can claim it. There's a difference. And so, uh, but when God stirs you by the Holy Spirit, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. There it is. Then you can take it. And then, of course, act on it. So let's just use this verse. And we'll tap into this, I think, in a couple nights. I'm just setting the stage. 
But thanks be to God, which giveth, who is giving, present tense, us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who is giving. Is that a promise or a fact? It's a fact. It's a fact. Is giving. So do you have to ask for it? No. What should you do? Take it. Claim it. Take it. If he's giving, if he is giving, then we can be taking. <laughs> and if you're courteous, what should you say? That's why the text says, Thanks be to God who's given us the victory. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there you go. Take it and then act on it. Now you already know this. It's in the song called Trust and Obey. <laughs> it's trust to obey. It's take to act. You see, if you just act, it's just you trying to mimic motions. It's not the same. It's form without power or else it's crash and burn. <laughs> but when you take and then act, now he empowers. Do you see it? Now again, we'll fill this out, Lord willing, as we move along uh, throughout the week. But there we go, steps vary. And then finally... A step, of faith, a step of faith involves taking the step. That's another deep one. It's really so simple, but it's what we miss. In other words, it's not just acknowledging that God can do something. It's depending on him to do it with the appropriate step or steps of faith. All of us acknowledge God can do anything, he's powerful, and then we don't trust him for beans. You see, it's not just acknowledging that he can, it's depending on him to do it. It's just back to the chair. It's not just acknowledging the chair, the chair can hold you up, it's sitting on it. Okay, so it's not just acknowledging that God can, it's depending on him too. Now, the ramas in the word of God for personal victory are predominantly, by far and away, in the present tense. Take and then act. And we'll see that beautifully, I trust, uh, in a wonderful, beautiful text this week. But the ramas for the outpouring of the Spirit in revival, okay, the filling is, is personal victory, when God fills you with his life. That's all in the, the, the fact mode, the present tense. But the outpouring of the Spirit is when God fills the atmosphere with his life. For I will... Pour water on him that is thirsty. I will pour, uh, pour floods on the dry ground. I will pour out of my spirit. Okay, that's an atmosphere thing. And every statement in that regard is in the future tense. If my people, then will I? Okay, for I will pour out of my spirit. Greater works than these shall he do. See, they're all promises. Okay. So for personal victory, we need to take. For God to move in that greater way where the atmosphere is charged with his presence, where there's an awareness that God is in the room. That we ask for. And if we're not asking for God to pour out his spirit in revival, it's because we don't believe it. Because the first step of faith is what? Asking. Now, friends, what's going to take in our country and in our world for God's people to fall on their face and say, Oh, God, we need you to come down and, and manifest yourself. Now, friends, God is raising up prayer groups. I remember 20 years ago, you didn't know of any. And then, over these last 20 years, there's little stirrings here and there. And you know what's neat? 
these prayer groups are very specifically focused on God coming down. These, that's Bible wording from Isaiah 64. God manifesting his presence. It's all the outpouring of the Spirit. Ezekiel 39, 29. It's that wonderful truth when God moves in that greater way where everybody's arrested by an awareness of God in the atmosphere. God's there kind of thing. You know, that dynamic is so needed and God is stirring many of these groups to pray in that regard. It didn't used to be that way but what's so neat about it is these groups are they're different stripes. Different forget the term denominational labels and groups that don't get along. Which means this isn't orchestrated by man. It's orchestrated by God. And let's be a part of that intercessory stream. God, would you manifest your presence? Because in a service like this, everybody who came to hear, you seek, you'll find, but not everybody comes to hear. But when God steps into the atmosphere, those who came for other motives come face to face with God and have a chance to be blessed. It's called the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the greater moves of revival, the seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So in both cases, whether it's fact, let's take and act. Whether it's promises, let's ask and take. And there's many more promises than the promises of revival. But I give those as illustration. And this is just a matter of walking. This can affect the big stuff like <laughs> stopping storm clouds. And it can affect the small stuff like finding your ring. <laughs> but all of it is very real. And without faith... It's impossible to please him, but with faith, it is possible. And it is time for the people of God to not just believe that God can, but to depend on him to do it, whether it's facts or promises. And as the world gets tougher and tougher against the saints, we're going to either have to believe or get squashed. And yes, persecution may come, but they that know their God, Daniel tells us, shall be valiant and do exploits. Let's believe in God based on specific truth. Because the Holy Spirit has convinced us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. As we're laying more foundation as we move in this particular meeting. With our heads bowed, I wonder what said, Preacher, you know what? I know God can... But God is convicting me tonight to, to move from just believing that he can, believing about him, to depending on him to. To not just believe that he can, but to trust him to actually do something. In other words, let's move from unbelief to belief. I wonder who would say, Preacher, God is convicting me tonight. There's far too much unbelief. And I, 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 yeah, I believe God can, but I need to depend on him to move in some specific area in my life. Would you raise the hand, please? Sure. Yes, 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 yes. You know, we all believe God can give us victory, but if we're, if we're defeated, then the steps of faith are probably missing. We, we believe He can, but we're not depending on Him too. How about this matter of revival? I may deal with this to the men on the conference on Tuesday. We'll see. But you know, maybe you're already praying for an outpouring of the Spirit. But if not, maybe God's stirring you. Friends, we need a move of God. And sometimes it changes culture. Sometimes it prepares the church for coming persecution. Either way, 
We need God's presence clothing us, manifest. Let's ask. I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, God's convicted me to be a part of that intercessory string that he's raising up to ask for the outpouring of the Spirit of God, for another move of God, a great awakening before Jesus comes. And God's stirring me. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, sure. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Now, I wonder who would say, Preacher, there's an area where I've been clinging. And I didn't even think that was faith. But I see tonight that clinging faith is faith. And uh, God's showing me that the enemy is trying to knock me off from believing when God wants me to keep believing regardless of the feelings and over time and experience to move from clinging faith to resting faith and specific things came to mind tonight. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, sure, a number of hands, wonderful. Now let me ask this, is there anyone that say, Preacher, I'm not even saved to begin with. If I died right now, I hope I'd go to heaven, but I do not know my sins are forgiven. I do not know I have eternal life. If that's you, would you raise the hand? Well, let's take a moment as the piano plays to talk to God about what he's talking to us about. Lord, we thank you for the simple plan that you devised called faith. Lord, obviously apart from you, we can do nothing. But we are not apart from you. Oh, Lord, thank you. May we learn to simply depend on you as you stir us, as you open our eyes. May we depend that we might experience both facts and promises for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.